0: The news cycle these days can be relentless.
1: Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth. Something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Find your frequency. You're
1: listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Time has no meaning anymore. So you can be forgiven for thinking that this happened either five days or five years ago. We are ready to work together with provinces and territories right across the country to deliver $10 a day, high quality childcare for every family in Canada. That plan was announced by the federal government almost exactly one year into the pandemic, in April of 2021, after parents across the country had a full 365 days or more to realize exactly how impossible it is to fully function without affordable, reliable childcare. Of course, the wait has been longer than a year. Canadians outside of Quebec have been watching for decades, lobbying, mostly unsuccessfully, for a national childcare plan. Announcing that plan is one thing, though. Implementing it is another. But one by one, over the summer, in the fall and the winter provinces and territories, sat down with the feds and hammered out deals.
0: This means that parents in Alberta will see a reduction in their fees of an average of 50% in early 2022. And with a $3.2 billion investment from the federal government over the next five years, we can and will get to $10 a day in British Columbia.
1: We have secured $66.1 million over the next five years for early learning and childcare in Nunavut. Today, New Brunswick joins nine other provinces and territories as we build our Canada-wide early learning and childcare system, working towards $10 a day child care for children right across the country. Until there was just one province left standing, Ontario. With reports leaking this week that a deal may be close between the feds and Ontario Premier Doug Ford's government, we could see all of Canada covered with real affordable child care by this time next year. It would be a milestone achievement for the country. In the meantime, though, what has the past two years without it cost us? As schools close, daycares open and shut, staffing shortages make quality care difficult to find even at exorbitant prices, and the burden falls on, well, who do you think the burden fell on? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Carolyn Ferns is the Public Policy and Government Relations Coordinator at the Ontario Coalition for Better Child Care. Hey, Carolyn.
0: Hey, thanks so much for having me.
1: You're very welcome. I'm glad that we're talking to you today because it's in the news that Ontario may finally be nearing a child care deal, the last province to do so. How big a deal is this plan as it's rolled out across Canada over the last... I guess ten months or so now,
0: yeah. well, the federal child care plan um, you know, really has the the possibility of of being a real game changer for families. I mean, the goal is to get child care fees down to ten dollars a day um, for families. Um, the goal just for this year is to cut childcare fees in half. So right now in Ontario, parents are paying well over a thousand dollars a month for child care, sometimes two thousand dollars a month for child care. So the difference that it's gonna make for parents' uh, pocketbooks is is huge, right? You know what the goal of the the federal child care program also is is to make child care programs uh, more stable and, and to improve their quality and 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 to create more spaces for for families that need them. So we've seen how important child care is in the pandemic and it's going to be essential to our social and economic recovery. So um, really, I don't think that this plan can come soon enough. And here in Ontario, we've been waiting and waiting for our, our provincial government to sign on. Um, They still haven't signed on so far. And we're the very last province, as you said, uh, you know, that's a holdout here. So um, I hope that the Ontario government will sign on as soon as possible.
1: Why is child care so important, particularly as we come out of the pandemic? Hopefully come out of the pandemic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, hopefully. Well, it's been incredibly important um, during the pandemic. And and we've seen that in the first wave of of the pandemic when, um, you know, so many things were closing down. Communities realized very quickly that they needed to have emergency childcare for anything else to keep going. For emergency services, essential services to remain open, they needed to be emergency childcare. You know, during the pandemic, many more people realized just how important childcare is. Um, you know, any employer. Uh, who was on a Zoom call with an employee who had a to- toddler crawling all over their head realized, right. <laughs> you know, that childcare, um, you know, Ontario can't work work without it. And of course, you know, we've had from a work perspective, really two pandemics, people who are able to work from home and if their parents have been trying to work from home with their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then folks, of course, that uh, are so important uh, to our communities who, you know, whose jobs cannot be done from home, be they right. healthcare workers or uh, or grocery store uh, workers. And so childcare for, for those folks um, has been really important. I think that, you know, after wave one of the pandemic, when we saw how important childcare was, that's where we started to see suddenly um, government action uh, right across the country, you know, and that the federal government, you know, in their budget last year, finally bringing forward a a national childcare system that of course, advocates have called for, for over 50 years. Um, And so I think that it's gonna be really important as we move forward to make sure that childcare centers, first of all, that they survive the pandemic because we've seen a lot of them close. Um, but that we start providing more affordable care for families and, and expand spaces too.
1: In a moment, we'll talk about how we've moved through the past couple of years and, and where that burden has fallen and what's been done about it. But first, when you look at this plan, um, or even just when you look at government child care plans or, or lack of them in the past, what does government often get wrong about child care when they're writing these plans or trying to come up with solutions?
0: I'd say that the biggest thing um, that governments, you know, be it pr- different provincial governments over the years or the federal government, even now, I think something that needs more attention is the childcare workforce. Often, um, from a politician's point of view, and the headline is ten dollars a day childcare. Even now, right, and it's about affordable childcare for families, right? Because that's what gets parents to buy into this and see, you know, that this being a positive outcome. That's the outcome we want. But to be able to do that, to be able to have childcare programs run at all, you need to have people to work in them. And if you want those childcare programs to be good, you need to be sure that there are qualified people working in those programs, um, early childhood educators, and you have to make sure that those people aren't turning over all the time and leaving. Um, to go and work at a uh, Costco or or a Tim Hortons where they could make more money. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, so dealing with the the child care workforce crisis um, and addressing recruitment and retention in child care is essential to be able to make any program work. As a parent, uh, I can speak to how important that is because you know when my son started going to infant child care and his very few you know first first words he had you know, Julia was one of his very first words, who was the early childhood educator that he had bonded with. Hmm. And when I said, you know, we're in the morning, if I said, I didn't say we're going to school or we're going to childcare, I said, we're going to see Julia. Right. And so if Julia, <laughs> you know, left um, her job or couldn't, you know, burned out or, or wasn't able to make a go and make a career in childcare, you know, what does that mean for the children who have bonded to that educator? To make quality childcare, you have to make sure that you're dealing with the workforce. And that's something that I think that every uh, provincial federal government that's uh, working on this issue should take much more seriously.
1: If there's one thing that's continually shocked me um, over the past two years, it has been learning just how much or, or more accurately, how little, I guess, people doing some invaluable work are actually making. And I, I mean that from, you know, first it was nurses uh, a week ago. I learned that respiratory therapists can make less than nurses. What do early childhood educators typically make? And, you know, to your point, why are they sometimes better off at a Costco?
0: Well, here in Ontario, um, you know, the average wage for early childhood educators is less than $20 an hour. Um, and some ECEs are making a uh, minimum wage. A- and those are people with Diplomas and degrees in early childhood education—they're qualified, uh, and and early childhood education is a professional. There's a professional college that regulates. This is a regulated profession in Ontario. Mm-hmm. So you know their wages are are really low, and the other thing we've seen in the pandemic is that their jobs have have become much harder as well. Um, And we're seeing people burn out, you know, there's always this belief that, you know, early child educators, you know, they don't go into it for the money, you know, Uh, they do it for, you know, the love of working with the children. All of that's true, but they also need to be able to put food on the table. They need to be able to afford childcare for themselves sometimes they, you know, and they they need to be able to um, to make a living.
1: They say the same things about journalists, too, but I still want to get paid.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. I've actually, I had a, um, one time I had an MPP say that to my face, say, well, you <laughs> know, but they, about about early child educator pay, oh, you know, but they love it. And I said, well, I hope you love your job too, sir. But, you know, I, I think you also like to be paid well for it. Yeah. Um. And you should. But what we've seen in the pandemic as well is that, of course, now, Um, So much of of ECE's work is now, you know, cleaning and screening um, and sanitizing toys, you know, five times a day. And, and what we've heard from people is that, you know, those things, because there is no funding to hire on additional staff to take on those roles. The people that are are working in program are now spending so much of their time doing those things instead of interacting with the children, which is what they want to be doing and what they should be doing. So, you know, that underfunding of childcare it, it really does undermine quality for kids. Um, and when we talk about, you know, decent work for educators, um, it's because early childhood educators' working conditions are children's learning conditions, right? And that's uh, the only way that we create quality childcare. The news cycle these days can be relentless.
1: Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Find your frequency.
1: Let's move on a little bit from the ECE stage because I want to ask you about... um, the burden over the past couple of years. So let's go back to the spring of 2020. Um, you know, it was March break, schools across the province, across the country began to close. At that time, we had zero idea uh, when they might reopen. What did your work tell you about who was going to be impacted by that?
0: Well, we could see really quickly the the impact that this was having on, on parents. Um, and then, of course, you know, while I think that that uh, you know burden fell on on all all parents and and caregivers, you know, you could see in the job figures as they started to come out that the disproportionate impact it was having on on women and on mothers' labor force participation, even before you know those hard numbers started to come out, you know, I could see this you know this this tsunami because mm-hmm. all sorts of uh, parents and and um you know, mothers that I was in touch with uh, were saying, you know, uh, what what am I going to do? You know, I've I've it's been two weeks. I'm trying to do my job. I'm trying to, you know, make snacks all the time, and and I don't feel like my child's getting any attention, and uh, my job's not getting done. You know, what am I going to do? And then we saw that that hit, and um, you know, uh, economist Armin Nizian coined the term the "she session," and you know, those those job figures as they've come out month after month have have borne that out that it's uh, you know the dis- disproportionate impact that the pandemic's having on women's work, and that it will take um, you know years to to get that uh, you know recovered. The the federal government, um, to their credit. Uh, had saw the same thing happening and that's why and in Chrystia Freeland's budget speech she she said it quite clearly that that is why um they were investing in child care and moving forward on a national child care plan because it it was uh, you know one important way that the government could um could uh, try to ensure a feminist response and recovery from the pandemic
1: in terms of child care even in pre-pandemic times, I'm curious if you know how much of the burden typically falls on women, and I'm really curious to know if that's changed in any meaningful way over the last several years as we've started to acknowledge this.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think that uh, you know, even before the pandemic, of course, um, it was you know well known that that uh, um, the childcare uh, burden did you know continue to, to fall disproportionately on uh, on women and, and mothers. A few years ago in Ontario, there was uh, the provincial government had a whole committee and initiative looking at the the gender wage gap, right, and what what drove it, and caregiving was a, seen as being a huge part of this. You know, the unequal uh, burden of caregiving, and so much so that after the committee's you know travels around the province and talking with you know thousands of of people about how to solve the gender wage gap, their number one. Uh, recommendation was a universal childcare system, that that was the the most important thing to act on um, as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it seems that it took, you know, um, a few more years and a pandemic for that penny to drop for many more people. But now, you know we're seeing that um there is an understanding of that not just from the federal government but provincial governments right across the country as well as the business community now now we have the chamber of commerce calling for investment in childcare so from an ontario perspective though what's frustrating is that the penny seems to have dropped for almost everybody except for the ontario government um who still seem to be acting in the the sort of the old way of thinking on this and um and uh not really stepping up to do what's needed to to move forward on child care.
1: Have you guys been talking to them about that? What's that conversation been like trying to push this uh, over the hump?
0: It's difficult because, you know, I think that what we've heard from from the Ontario government, and you see this even in the the media statements from from Minister uh, Lecce and, and from Premier Ford, you know, they seem to be okay with things in the status quo and they would like to have uh, more federal funding for it. You know, they say, yes, we're open to, to getting federal funding, but we want essentially things to stay as they are. And that's a problem because, um, really, to move childcare forward, what we need to be doing is publicly funding the programs um, directly. It can't be about uh, a few more dollars into a tax credit, and it can't be just leaving this sort of market hodgepodge the way it is because it hasn't worked, and we've seen that it hasn't worked for years. Right? It's a matter of of trying to shift that uh, pr- that perspective um, from the provincial government and really to, to know what their their plan is. I think that that's something that's been lost in all this, which is what would the Ontario government do with $10.2 billion? Yeah. You know, they seem to have dodged that question now for months. And it's something that I would like to know the answer to.
1: What do we know right now? Um, you mentioned some numbers a little bit ago about the concrete impact that the pandemic and childcare crisis has had on Canadian women's careers. and And what won't we know until it plays out in the years and decades to come.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, there will be a, a long, a long-term imp- impact. I mean, we see that from, you know, from research that's been done on the gender pay gap, that is that the longer that, uh, you know, a woman stays out of the uh, paid labor force or the, the you know, the impact that that has over years, you know, going into retirement when you, you know, then retire with a, a much lower Income and earnings over the years. So there's going to be a long term impact of that for sure. You know, the other impact that we've tried to flag, um, even at the beginning of the pandemic, is how important a childcare program is going to be for a generation of young children that have been born in, in a crisis. And, you know, I've heard from lots of parents who say, you know, they had a baby in the 2020 and and that their child has not had the the opportunities to socialize um, with other kids yeah. and how important that's going to be um, to make sure that we're providing really quality early learning and child care that understands what uh, families as a whole have, have been through um, in all of this.
1: What will child care providers have to do? do about that in the years to come? Um, Obviously, hopefully the the care itself gets better and more affordable and the wages improve. Um, But what needs to change, if anything, in in the caregiving situations for kids who, to your point, have been isolated at this point for for much of their lives?
0: Yeah. Well, I think that, um, you know, in terms of the, the pedagogy, I think that early childhood educators they're doing amazing and creative things um, in in dealing with the the pandemic, and I even saw that in, uh, myself as a as a parent in that first wave when childcare was was closed down. It was uh, you know I think only a few days after um, everything closed, I got an email from my son's child care center saying, oh, you know, we're having a virtual preschool so everyone can come on. And right. uh, his preschool teacher made a video explaining about the pandemic in ways that using words and, and things that he could understand in ways that I had never even thought of. Um, so it's amazing the work that early childhood educators have done in all this. Um, and I think, though, that just to go back to an earlier point, but just to hammer it home, really, it's about making sure that that those qualified educators stay working in, in licensed child care mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, for kids that it's stable, um, it's stable quality child care with the same. Um, early childhood educators day to day so that they're not, you know, being shuffled from this room to that room because we're short staffed. And maybe the the ECE that they were playing with last week, they never see again. I mean, that's really hard for a child. So I think that, you know, it's, it's really addressing that workforce crisis in child care is going to make such a big difference.
1: The last thing I want to ask you about is what happens next and, and what can be done for the moms who have lost uh, two years of their career? You know, hopefully, uh, knock on wood, and, and it probably helps that there's an election coming up, that Ontario gets this deal done uh, with the federal government. Once that's done, how can these women catch back up and, and is any level of government talking about how to support them in that?
0: Yeah, I think that there could be. I think there definitely could be more done to to talk about that. And I, I never like to say if after the after the pandemic can we even say that yet? But um, you know, when it does come to that, yes, I think there's going to be a challenge for people reentering the workforce and uh, and 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 all of those things. And so I think that making sure that we have affordable childcare there is going to make a big difference uh, for families because. Of course, you know that's the even doing the math is what a lot of parents keeps a lot of parents out of licensed childcare because they realize that so much of their salary is going to be going to uh, pay for childcare. So if it's a, a parent who's trying to figure out, you know, oh, I I could I could do you know part time or I could take this position uh, full time, but how could I possibly pay for licensed childcare? Right. That's why we need to address the 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 fees right away, right? So that um, so that the math. Makes sense for for more families to be able to to get back into uh, the labor force. It's an election year, so I hope that the Ford government is feeling the pressure to um, to sign on to that agreement. Um, but it's also an election year, and if they don't, I think that you know I know a lot of parents are really frustrated with how um, much of an afterthought uh, the Ford government has treated childcare. So I see this being a pretty hot election issue either way.
1: It is amazing how parenthood can turn you into a single issue voter sometimes.
0: <laughs> yes, definitely.
1: Carolyn, thank you so much for this. Very insightful.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much.
1: Carolyn Ferns of the Ontario Coalition for Better Child Care. That was The Big Story. For more from us, you can head to the thebigstorypodcast.ca where sometimes if you listen to the episodes in the background, you can hear the result of me not having affordable quality child care over the past two years. You can also talk to us on Twitter at the Big Story FPN, or you can email us, TheBigStoryPodcast, all one word, at rci.rogers.com. You can find this podcast in any podcast player. You can ask for it on your smart speaker, simply by saying, play The Big Story Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.